Trevor, and for myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to episode 210. This time around, you are joined by producer Christopher White and writer-director Simon Kesh, Dugan O'Neill, and Jeff Desim. At time of release, Bloody Disgusting's new sci-fi horror film, Doors, is in select theaters now and just released on demand. Available on DVD and Blu-ray April 6th. Hear about crafting a unique, independent, extraterrestrial terror that's surreal and evocative. They'll tell you about bringing inexplicable alien technology to life, designing their own universe and mythology, reinventing the anthology experience, and their own unique horror influences and backgrounds. Episode 210 starts now. Doors started appearing all over the world. Hello? Hi. Jamal. Buddy. I have a door. No, if you had a door... There would be like a million of those knockers here sterilizing this entire place. Sure, if they knew, they'd be here, but I didn't report it. I think this is a good time to go. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio are a group of compelling filmmakers and storytellers. First up, a visionary who started back in 2006 with the short Drug of Choice and followed that up with an incredible career, creating music videos for the likes of Ed Sheeran, Calvin Harris, Placebo, Kygo, and more, was nominated for the Grand Jury Award at South by Southwest. He is Saman Kesh. Also here, a producer and writer who brought us My Super Psycho Sweet 16 for MTV, the award-winning ABCs of Death, VHS Viral, and 2019's Portals. It is Chris White. He is an award-nominated writer-director whose work included the documentary Rear Window Time-Lapse, music videos the likes of Father John Misty, Static and Ben L's award-winning Tudo Bomb, the Stranger Things Spotlight series, we welcome Jeff Desim. Finally, a writer-director known for his award-winning work in commercials, Adult Swim, music videos for Haim, Pharrell, Chromio, Travi McCoy, Gym Class Heroes, and so much more, Dugan O'Neill. Together, these guys have joined forces on the mind-bending new film Doors, a time of release in theaters on March 19th, on demand March 23rd, and DVD Blu-ray April 6th. Half the nation's population goes missing. Extraterrestrial doors appear all over the world without explanation, and the mystery unfolds in this extremely unique spin on an anthology narrative. We are honored to hang out with Simon, Chris, and Jeff, and Dugan for doors. Yeah! Yeah! Wow. yeah. That was I'm, uh, I'm melting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's an awesome intro. <laughs> Guys, the, the accumulative work that you have all done, it just blows our minds, and congratulations yeah. on this amazing film. Before we get into it, we just want to go around the room to hear about all of your very first impactful experiences with the horror genre as a viewer. We could start right with you, Chris. Yeah, um, it all started years ago, actually, back in the day with my dad. You know, we used to always go to the movies all the time. And um, the big horror film that really sci-fi horror film that really just spoke to me that got me was Alien. 
saw it in the theater. Remember, um, it was pretty funny. Uh, the scene when the face hugger comes out of the, the egg, someone in the back said, oh, shit, this angel dust is getting me crazy. That's an 80s drug for sure. That just, you know, that just did it for me. And I've been, you know, obviously from Alien, a huge Alien fan and a huge fan of the universe. And um, just horror just always has been my thing. And, you know, you could name it. I've watched it and love it. And that's the genre I just embrace so much. Oh, man, that's a great answer. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) how about you, Jeff? Same thing, actually. Uh, I was also going to say Alien and Aliens. I, I had an older brother who would put me in front of the TV way too young. And so I, I saw a lot of those uh, poltergeist, uh, child's play, all these films way too young. And it, it, it kind of, I mean, I, I, I loved getting scared, but it also scarred me for life. And you, Simon? Man, I was going to say Alien, but now I'm just going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to say Event Horizon. Nice! Uh, that was like... Even though it, 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 it's not it's not aesthetically what I'm gravitated towards, I think it was the most traumatizing movie I'd seen at that time, and I think it was my gateway into like psychological horror. Just the idea of people going crazy and how you can't even trust yourself. So I'd have to say that answer. Yeah, I was scared to like walk down the hallway without turning off on all, every single light. My dad would wake up and be like, eh, "Why are all the lights on?" Check. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, cap it off with you, Dugan. Well, I can't say alien. Thanks a lot, guys. Check that. I'm going to go with, you know, I, I think as a filmmaker, one one movie that really I feel like had a strong influence uh, a little bit more in my adult life was Let the Right One In. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like a quiet horror movie. You know, it's like, and I, I think it kind of pertains to, to, I actually, like in hindsight, I feel like it was somewhat of an influence for um, my segment in, in Doors, so... I'm going to go with that one. That's a great choice. That's like Leo's favorite horror movie of all time. Would you say, Leo? Pretty close? Yeah. yeah, Oh, yeah, man. It's got a killer, killer ending. Yeah. So good. The swimming pool. The journey you guys take us on with Doors is extremely unsettling. It's haunting as it really disarms the audience and puts us in a total state of vulnerability. In my mind, if aliens did eventually reveal themselves on a grand scale... Chances are it would bring with it surreal advanced tech and ways of thinking that we've never experienced before. It might not be in a humanoid shape. It could be an organism or something on a higher plane. And I really enjoyed that ride as I would imagine this would be a lot of what it would feel like. So, Chris, talk about conceiving that idea for Doors. Yeah, that was, it was a it was a few years ago, and um, you know, being a huge fan of anthologies, obviously working on VHS Viral and ABC's of Death, and um, having grown up on Creep Show and Tales from the Crypt, you know, the one thing that I noticed is that with all the anthologies that were coming out, no one was really focusing on the sci-fi, doing a sci-fi anthology, and. Um, you know, going through different ideas and had, a, you know, a, a few cool ones. But then all of a sudden the idea for doors about these you know, uh, mysterious cosmic anomalies that just show up all over the world during a blackout. Originally, it's like during a blackout. 
and they can appear anywhere and everywhere um, in your house, outside, you know, in the pool. It doesn't matter. They're everywhere and anywhere. And they draw you to them. And the idea was like once you interact with them as well, you know, you end up with you get absorbed within it. And it's not that these are portals per se. You know, some people think these are portals that take you off to different worlds and stuff. They take you within the construct, the conscious construct of what these doors are. So it's kind of like the matrix as per se, how the, you know, the machines control the reality and everything. Or Dark City when the strangers are controlling, you know, everyone's reality and their, their memories and everything like that. These doors manipulate and control your your reality by studying you and you know the other idea was to instead of you know a lot of anthologies also are very each segment is sort of like their own segment you have a wraparound and all the segments are really cool but a lot of times they don't really connect to one another aside from the wraparound so it was like you know how to do this in a way that just feels huge and epic where it's one big story told from different perspectives by you know amazing filmmakers and and having their own you know tone and feel to it by having a, a progression of a narrative so instead of segments it's acts so you have act one act two act three just like you would in, in a general sort of movie and you know that's that's pretty much how how you know the idea came about and I, you know, I'd spoken to Brad Miska about it. I, I, I told him the idea. He's like, this is great. Um, I have these guys at Bold Delight that could probably, you know, they'd be into it. Um, and they loved it. So then, um, you know, we started reaching out to filmmakers and, you know, uh, reached out to Saman. I saw his work from Kygo and, and, and what was the Basement Jacks? Basement Jacks, awesome freaking video. And um, just loved his stuff. Like amazing, 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 amazing talent. And uh, reached out to him. Actually, I was on Vimeo, actually. Hit, hit him up on Vimeo and was just like, hey, man, love your stuff. Uh, this is, you know, the, the project that we're doing. Would you like to be part of it? And thankfully he did because, you know, he's the, he's the, couldn't do this movie without him, you know, and with it and, and without the other guys as well, Jeff and, and, and Dugan as well. But Saman just really gravitated and, and capped and, and got the, the, the idea, you know, he just took to the world and, and the vision of what it was and really helped expand on it on, in so many ways. So, you know, super thankful to that dude. Couldn't have really done it without him. Again, Saman, you know, he's the man. Uh, he brought so much to the table. And then he also brought in uh, Dugan and Jeff as well, who were amazing and just brought their expertise and all their knowledge and really got it in unique you know, ways to get into the stories and just really thankful to all these guys. Speaking on that, I mean, you said, you know, you're on Vimeo and watching like the Basement Jacks videos, saw Saman's work and got turned on to Jeff and Dugan's work as well. Was there anything in particular that kind of was a was a seed that you were seeing in all their work that made you go you know what this is going to be my dream team here this is something i'm seeing in their work that i think is going to really resonate in this piece yeah it was definitely you know one of the things especially for doing sci-fi you want a slickness to it and that's what you know when i saw Samaz's work i was like he totally has it it's you know everything he has it's slick it's cool it's you know hip it's cutting edge it's really dope and that's what you know i really wanted to make sure that we bring into it and that's what you know just having him come on board and and also being you know the creative director of the overall film just help bring the vision all together and then seeing dugan you know he brought in dugan and jeff and seeing their work i'm like you know these guys are perfect they just you, you know when you see the film you see and that's why also it all has a pretty unified feel and look and tone to it as well which was really important 
Um, so that way it does feel like, again, one big cohesive vision to all of it, even though it's unique in each perspective from each segment, it still all just feels like, hey, this is one big film. And, you know, I've heard some people who watched the film and, and enjoyed it. They didn't realize it was an anthology until the credits popped yeah, up. Yeah, I was one of those people, man. <laughs> yeah. Which, which was the goal. It was like, you know, let's do this. So it feels like, you know, it doesn't feel like anthology to the end. And, you know, I think we pulled it off, which was pretty cool. In terms of uh, the writing and directing, did any of you get to direct one another's segment? Uh, was that ever a plan? Or did each of you just work on your respective segment? Each of us had our own segments. I, I, I co-wrote all three of them, but um, everybody kind of knew which segments they were working on very early. Text is woven through it, and that's kind of a beautiful way of making it a part of the experience. Or even the cinematography has that kind of unified look and feel. Beautifully captured shots look like you can hang them on a wall. In the creative director stage, was that something you guys all got together and collaborated on as far as the vision? The text was, uh, yeah, it was something that I... I was dabbling with my segment and, and the, the process of the anthology, we, we kind of shot them not at the same time. They were actually like, you know, one, like pretty much like one every year. So we kind of had a lot of time to sort of like, uh, like come up with a story, shoot, the, shoot a segment. And then the story would evolve. And Chris and I would get excited and spend like five hours on the call and then tweak it. And then the next segment would come and that was Dugan. And then we would like to go, okay, he's the ending. Then we would tweak it. And then we're like, we need our intro guy. We need like, the technician to come in and be able to like set everything up and set the world up. But the text was always there. And, and I, to be honest, I don't think anyone liked it for a long time. Everyone was like, it looks like a fucking slug, man. We got to get rid of him. But, you know, thankfully I was annoying enough to, to, to just keep that voting for it. But I think the, what we wanted to do is it was a unique tone, but we wanted it to feel like the door was like finding ways of communicating. And it starts with sort of like very primitive, text, you know, where like the words almost sound like phrase. They're not full sentences. Um, and they kind of, it almost sounds like it's a mirror when it's with the kids. And then in mine, it's a little bit more thought out and like written, um, out in sentences. And then in Dugan's, it's like, it actually starts to talk, uh, not text. So it was just, it was just kind of, it was like a evolution that we sort of like organically wove in there. Now, what about bringing the actual doors to life? How is that done? I mean, there's some remarkable shots in Lockdown, for instance. It gives us a real detailed look of the mechanics and the personality of these things. And Jeff, you got to play with that a lot. And to us, it had a very similar visual palette to the stuff you did with Hoshka's Morgan Rock video you did. It was spoken in that same language a bit, if you will. Talk a bit about bringing that to life. The door itself was, uh, I mean, it was just a green screen for most of the part, uh, most of the movie, but we, we went into it, uh, not knowing exactly what it was going to look like. So we, we, we were really, uh, flying blind for a minute there, uh, if I'm totally honest, but, um, we always knew that, you know, the door itself was going to take its cue from its environment. You was going to look at like where it was and, and that somehow reflect wherever it was and i think the the um, saman was was uh spearheading that and that he as you know sort of the creative um he had the creative oversight and and he had i think he mentioned the idea of it having sort of this graphite uh, texture to it that you sort of i don't know that that in my mind came from you know pencils that you have lying around in school a lot and so it was like it was like a very yeah that that's sort of like a this this microscopic uh texture took yeah the door took on 
that that texture for some reason. Um, and then I, I think someone you can maybe talk better to the guys who who actually did uh, shoot and how they shot the, the, yeah. the close-ups of the door. Yeah, there's two elements. Like some of it was CG, like the wider elements are CG, but a lot of it is uh, close-ups of like basically like a really huge magnet underneath like lead and oil. Um, and it just creates this really like organic, very living thing. And you can do different stuff. Like, you know, you put the magnet, attach it to like a bait, like a subwoofer, and then it just like kind of vibrates, but in these like microscopic ways. So it just kind of looks like it's alive or moving. Um, and then we would shoot plates of that and then like duplicate it and loop it into the wide shot. And that was kind of how we got all three of the segments. We use a version of that. Like, you know, in Dugan's, it looks a little bit more like dirt moving around in mine. It's kind of like a little bit of boat, like a little bit of algae, a little bit of what Jeff had. So um, the, there's an evolution between it, but it was, it was basically CG, CG door, CG sort of rectangular element with um, live action uh, plates that we would composite on and, and almost like the texture of the door. It's a nerdy tech answer. <laughs> I love it though. Going into your uh, segment, Knockers, there's so much going on in there, starting with just the beautiful shots of the ocean. Where was that filmed? That's actually Cannon Beach. That's where they shot the ending of Goonies. Oh, no way! I've always loved it there. Like I went there when I was a kid, and I didn't really know I liked it. And then I went there again like in college, and I just was like, I don't know why I'm obsessed with these million-year-old rocks. Like It's just, I don't know, it just feels kind of alien a little bit. And so I just wanted to shoot there. And luckily nobody said like, no. So we went and shot like the intro. Like it's like two minutes. We went all the way up to Oregon to just shoot like two, the first two minutes. And then everything else was back in SoCal. I wanted to talk about the spacesuits, which are amazing. What went into designing them? And did anybody keep any of them? I think we have some lying around. I don't know who's got it right now. We should probably figure that out. But uh, yeah, we, 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 we kind of basically wanted to find a suit that kind of didn't really seem like super techie and kind of had a functional look, but also still like uh, designed. And, and we just really gravitate towards like the old, like cosmonaut suits and like jet, like fighter pilots from like the sixties and seventies with the sort of like net wraps on like the legs and stuff. And, and we just thought like, what if we just make it all white, like a space suit, but it's like, it looks like, you know, a fighter pilot suit. And that was basically the body. And, and they actually use a little bit of that look in Alien, which was also an inspiration for us, the sort of ties around the ankles and stuff like that, which was their inspiration, I believe, as well. And so we just like, oh, let's not make it that same color. And uh, and then, you know, the helmets are basically like like remoldings of, 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 of Guy's helmet from Daft Punk, which was, you know, I thought it was like half subtle, but like the day the trailer went out, everybody was just sort of being like, doors broke up, Daft Punk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. no. Yeah, the timing wasn't good for that because that I think that was around the same time that they announced that they were breaking up. Yeah, yeah. And Dugan, you get to rock one of those suits. How was it comfortable at all? It was not comfortable, I'll be honest. I, well, let me, let me rephrase that. It was comfortable, but it was super, super hot. I think it was like, the days we were shooting those, I think it was like 100 degrees in, in L.A. and it was hot. No, it was actually it was actually 100 days in the studio. It was winter when we shot it in L.A. Wherever we were, it was hot. It was hot, yeah. It was there, hot there, inside there, the, I, the There studio. were times where I would I would say like, Dugan, can you hear me? I go, yeah. And then I would give him a note and I go, what do you think? It's fucking hot. That was <laughs> Dugan, how did they achieve that effect when they pump it full of flowers? 
Simon can speak to more to that, but they basically just had a, a hose full of flower petals into the bottom of the of the helmet. And yeah. uh, maybe that's why I remember like being a actually. Like, <laughs> I, I, yeah, literally. And, you know, it got it got hard to breathe. There's a lot of like, uh, I don't act much, but sometimes friends will, will ask me to, to be in things. And that was definitely the, Simon put me through the test on that one. I had to earn it. Yeah, no, he did a great That, that was, that was like, yeah, that was like a, a leaf blower, like basically blowing yeah. those petals. Into yeah, I think, I think at some point, like, didn't Chad like take over? It was just getting too much. Like Chad, I think was the one. No, that... well, yeah, I think Chad also did some stuff in the reshoots. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He was the like flailing guy. Yeah. He was a better flailer. But I was, I was yeah. definitely in there. I, I mean, I died with, with the stuff in there. Yeah, he's, he's, he's dead yeah. and he's breathing and fake, fake dying. So Saman, you really get to be in this wild creative space to be able to show us what this psychosis caused by the doors looks and feels like. And there's these remarkable sets that rooms that don't make sense and furnitures and items and bizarre patterns and closets that aren't where they're supposed to be. What kind of thought went into bringing that feeling to life? I kind of always felt like if we were visited by aliens or stuff that just dimensionally we don't understand, I feel like there'd be like a curiosity, you know, and, and, and because we have an anthropomorphized view of like what being kind or nice or fair or whatever. It's like, I feel like they, they wouldn't. And so I was like, if the horror version of that would be like, it would just be like this, like shrink from hell. So I was like, what if the doors just kind of put you through your own shit, like give you the worst trip you've ever been on and like tries to create what would be a real world, but it kind of just doesn't get it right. Cause it doesn't stand it. And so that's kind of what we were thinking is it's like kind of in its infancy. It doesn't really fully get things. And, and that's kind of like why the rooms will change. And suddenly there's way more flowers. Like it just thinks like, Oh, Rose, her name is Rose. Maybe she liked flowers, more flowers, you know, like it's just, it sort of has this weird disjointed logic. And, you know, and I was also inspired by films like, you know, like Eternal Sunshine and Solaris. And I just liked the idea of, just kind of gaslighting yourself, you know, and the door just is the best at doing that. That was kind of my idea is having the door be kind of, uh, yeah, this, this sort of this shrink and you only, you know, pass therapy if you live. And that one had Josh Peck from Drake and Josh and the wonderful Lena Esco. What did you love about working with them in, in this very different capacity than what they're usually used to working with? And they couldn't be more different than each other. Josh is great because Josh, I wanted somebody that like is fun and enjoyable to watch, but plays kind of a, like kind of somebody who's pro- like fucked up. And, uh, and, and also I just, I really like people who are funny for serious content. It's just something I always really like. And I feel like they're good at making up stuff and improvising, but he was very, um, he's very like quick notes, you know, like make her laugh. She's sad. She's going to break up with you go, you know? And, Lena was like psychology, like your dad was like this and you hated him. And she just, she's, you know, and she's, she's super activist, you know, she did, you know, free the nipple and stuff. So she's super gung ho and, you know, you say something wrong, she'll like slap you up. And, and she's great. And, and for whatever reason, like I didn't think that they would work actually. And then when I just had them meet once, I was like, this is perfect. This person is totally going to like shoot two of her boyfriends. Like I buy it, you know, like it just, it felt like a relationship that is going to end, but they were great. I I loved working with both of them and they kind of flexed two different sides of 
cinematic muscle. So that was the Boo Crew. We'll be right back. Come now and explore the possibility of the impossible. Centronics International presents a terrifying journey into the supernatural, narrated by the master of slithering evil, Rod Serling. It is tradition that ghosts and ghouls and various other citizens of the grotesque wrap themselves in malevolent mists and deep darkness, disguised as all manner of things. This is a terrifying encounter with the unknown. spun by devils encounter with the unknown I wanted to get all of your thoughts on whether you think we actually have been visited by aliens. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Pretty sure. And it's probably right in front of our face sometimes. You know, if, if they were going to be here, they're going to be on the low. And they've most, you know, I, I think it's quite arrogant and ignorant to think that we're the only you know, intelligent life forms in this vast, vast universe. And there's definitely something, you know, there's things that you see. I mean, you know, there's definitely people haven't been seeing things for for thousands of years for nothing. <laughs> it's always been that even back when you go to the Egyptians, you see, you know, they always have like these space astronaut things sometimes. And it's there's something that's out there now. Why they aren't really coming out full on, maybe because it's going to melt our brains once we realize <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to be able to, you know, handle it. But, you know, I, I definitely think there there is um, we've been possibly visited. And also, you know, they could be hiding deep down. Remember, we have the deep the deep, deep oceans and everything down in the deep where it's still unexplored. And you could have a whole civilization of aliens. down. Who knows? But um, there's something. I think so. I would agree. I think that, you know, maybe one side or one element is that, you know, they're not necessarily coming from outer space, but they're interdimensional. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'll just throw that out there. I'll just leave that there. Let that percolate. Mm, a little bit. I love it. Simon. Yeah, I would. I'd probably say the interdimensional. I would say like, you know, we, we, we might be aliens. I don't know. You know, I think it's it is arrogance, I think, to think to just be like there's no aliens or there's no one else out there. But I'm not quite sure we might be able to understand what they are, even yeah, if, they, if they didn't show themselves. And, and maybe they have a way to visit us and we can't see them. You know, like maybe they're visiting us all the time. And Jeff? I wonder if we, we are even interesting enough to them, you know, that they would even bother to stop by. If you, you know, if they were like capable of visiting other worlds and are we even that interesting in comparison to other places? I mean, uh, the Earth show is probably pretty entertaining. <laughs> It's, it's peak entertainment right now, I would, I would say. But I, I, I hear what you're saying, Jeff, for sure. Yeah, the movie made me think of elements from movies like Event Horizon, uh, Arrival, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. It walks this fine line of psychological horror and something more. Was there ever an idea to bring in some gore or bloody elements to the film and delve into more visual madness? I think with this, you know, with Doors, we were going on a more cerebral I mean, you could go there and it's easy to go there. I think we just wanted to go a little more cerebral with it. 
Um, and as uh, uh, Saman likes, he coined the phrase Zen horror, um, more along the line like that. But, you know, you could easily go there and, you know, um, and who knows, maybe if there's a sequel or a series, there could be certain because every interaction with the doors are always going to be different depending on who that person is who interacts with it. So, I mean, you can go on and on and on and there's, you know, all types of scenarios. But for this is, you know, for this film itself, we just I think we just wanted to go more psychological, more cerebral with it, which I think works with it and really makes it stand out. Wanted to ask about Lamage. Dugan, here we kind of have as a centerpiece is this, well, first of all, this wonderful performance from Kit Malone, who, if anyone doesn't know from the Grammy-nominated band TV on the radio, what did you find made his performance work so well from your standpoint? I don't know. I think Kip is just like a really, I mean, he's just amazing. To, he's a very special human being in the way that he kind of communicates and talks and take. he's very, um, he really takes things in and he's just very, um, I don't know. He's very tuned in. So I felt like, you know, and just like, I love his face. He just has such an interesting face. And I just felt like, you know, I, I believe him being this eccentric kind of scientist prepper who's both isolated, like out in the forest, but also in the way that he thinks. So like, I don't know, I, I bought him as that. Also, he's a, you know, a buddy of mine and was one of the people that was able to do it. <laughs> You know, we had, you know, this came together really fast and, um, you know, we got really lucky with the casting. We didn't do like a, a traditional casting for it, but I definitely, you know, I, I wrote it with uh, Kip in mind. Simon and I had a lot of talks about, about Kip like pretty early on. And, and so we kind of formed the character around him, just knowing his personality and, and just like the way that, you know, he just how he understands music and tweaking the knobs and, and like, he really brought that, like being able to communicate with the door through these synthesizers and finding different frequencies. Like he made that feel really real. Like I kind of just like didn't have to do much for that or give him too much direction there. So yeah, I mean, I mean, he just, he's a, he's a really special person. So I think he, he brought a lot to that, to that character. Oh, you can tell, you can tell, as you said, it's very appropriate that the other benchmark for that segment in particular is sound. Describe the path yeah. in getting that, that right the language of the door the speaking voice well originally we took it was it was more like we were taking sound bites like all his languaging was basically coming from the internet so we we sampled like so many like all these voices off of youtube which was really interesting because i feel like if they were somehow tapping into humanity they, they would kind of maybe use <laughs> use the internet but um so that that kind of started us on that that path of like oh it's the, the door is like basically already are gone through this archival process of, of what humans are and is, you know, taking voices that it's heard all over the world, basically. So then we had to kind of, you know, then we went through the process of recreating the, the, the sample of YouTube ones with, you know, I think we had like a hundred different people, or maybe not a hundred, but like, a, a, maybe like, you know, like a hundred people. Yeah. Yeah. Like, my wife, my um, daughters Jackson, are both I like Jackson there. 14. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, that was a really fun process. And it was really, it was really amazing to see once we were in the edit, because when, you know, when we're out there on the day, I think it was either me or, you know, Kimberly, one of our producers was doing the voice and it was just like, hello, Jamal. Like it, it didn't, <laughs> didn't have the same magic, but once we got in the edit and we started, we kind of found that like multiple voice thing. It really kind of came to life. Throughout the entire film, there's this tremendous score by John Beltran. Now, what was the world 
that you wanted created through his score and the elements of the story you wanted reflected in that the loudest? Mm, yeah, John, um, John was working on this pretty early. I liked him really early and, and Chris, I mean, like heard his stuff very early and was like, okay, he's the guy. There was no question. And we just had to finish the, the segments. I don't even think I shot and he was making music. There's so much music for this movie. He's like begging to just take some songs and make albums of them. But he, you know, he came in and just, he just, he was just weird about all the, 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 the music choices. I remember that I just, I felt like I wanted like to like pervert Enya and like have that be scary. And that's like kind of all I started with, with him. And so he just, he kind of went through synthesizers. He kind of went through weird samples, pitch shifting, and just, you know, we, and, and at that time I, you know, I didn't talk about Zen horror with Chris. So like, we just kind of slowly were like, what if we just like have the soundtrack that's like, like sci-fi horror, but it like with this like new age layer, like everything's just got this like floaty, beautiful, like almost like you can meditate to it, but like not too fucked up. Um, and that was kind of like the direction we went. It's kind of like, I always remember watching Gone Girl and how like it's like this generic ambient music, but then like there's just these wrong, like these like notes that come out of nowhere, typical like Trent Reznor goth stuff. And I was like, whoa, oh, you know what I mean? And it just, it just fucks with you. And that's, you know, kind of what we wanted it to do. We wanted it to be beautiful and haunting and, and, and everybody's segment was different. Like with Dugan's, it was like, there was a little bit more of a, like, um, I guess I would say quirkiness. I can't think of a word, but there was just a little bit more of like a, a different tone. It felt like it was music that surrounded, you know, Jamal's character more. And I think with, with, with Jeff's, it was a little more of a stranger thing, kind of like thing. And then with mine, you know, I don't know, whatever's in between those is mine, I guess. But uh, you know, like a little bit bi like bigger sounding, I suppose, but in general, we, tr we tried, you know, really hard to, um, create the stuff for each of the segments. And, and I, and I, I think, you know, he did a great job. I think the boys had notes and we'd send it back to him. I don't know if you guys ever talked to John. I don't remember if you guys chatted with him or just sent him notes, but, um, yeah, mostly I think uh, on my end, it was just notes yeah. and a giant Dropbox full of like incredible soundtracks. <laughs> yeah. I remember there was this one Philip Glass track that Dugan just kept using and J John kept making music and Dugan just kept putting that Philip Glass song back in. And he was just like, what's wrong with my music? Why doesn't Dugan like it? I'm like, he just really likes Philip Glass song. And he's like, I can copy that shit. It's, but we got to do something better, you know, just like, but he did know, do something oh, better, you know? And, 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 and then, and then I hit up Dugan Dugan goes, Oh shit, I forgot I left that in there. And so poor John was like, Oh yeah, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was at that, it was at that point in the process where I wasn't really, I, I wasn't there with thinking about the final music yet. I was still trying to get the edit right. So I've, I've probably should have called, I, maybe I should call John and say, <laughs> make things right. Yeah. Hey, that, uh, without giving it away, uh, the cut between your segment, Dugan, and the final wraparound with Martin Midnight has got to be the coolest, most freaky eerie thing ever who came up with that cut the cut with the computer yeah yeah oh Saman. that was yeah. a Saman move right there yeah yeah that thing that was kind of cool yeah we just we we were we were kind of trying to figure out if we wanted to do like another segment like we we had actually like a whole other segment idea and and for i think during covid we were just so like even though i'm sure a ton of people were gonna just kind of like jump into the novelty of like some zoom horror shit we were just like I feel like this is the right way to go. And again, like 
we didn't want to get going bigger. I think after my segment, I think the expectation is to keep going bigger. And so with Dugan's, we kind of wanted it to be smaller and more contained. And then, and then we were like, let's just go even smaller, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, it ends not big. It ends kind of like small and intimate. Yeah. And, and, and claustrophobic a little bit too, because all you see is in the frame and the characters like half leaving it and stuff. And it just felt like the right way to do it. And honestly, I, I was going crazy at that point in my life. So I think like, that's, why that segment's like that. Huh. Out of all the segments, was there one scene in particular that was really hard to film? Some like challenge that you had to overcome? The multiple joshes, right, Simon? I mean, for me, you had yeah, to do that twice. You had to pick that up. Yeah. So like the when the clone sequence was shot like two and a half years later. And I'm glad because like everybody understood the material more and everybody the all the dialogue and the story got to tweak the lean into Dugan segment in the overall, but that was definitely the most. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it. That and Dugan's Dugan's was hard, man. I was getting my ass kicked on that. I was just like, you know, I suck. I hate this. Dugan had to like hug me while like suffocating in the fucking thing. Um, yeah, that was tough. But yeah, I'd love to hear Dugan and Jeff. I've never asked this question, so I'd love to hear what you guys thought was fucking hard. I, well, I think it's, yeah, Go ahead, Jeff. pretty much the same heart like it, there was no particular one scene in it all it, it was we we didn't have a lot of time to shoot it so i think like we were yeah we were on a lot of time pressure all the time uh, so i just remember that mostly and and having you over my shoulder sometimes like yeah yeah we got into a fight we had one fight where he said yeah. shut up shut up Simon's not used to being a yeah Simon's not used to being a creative director, not not being the director. So there's some like there's a learning curve there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to. T- yeah. I, I like it was like very early on. I'm like, you guys just tell me to shut up, and Jeff wouldn't do it. He's so sweet and so nice, and finally I got him to do it. He was just like, you shut up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Dugan had no problem. Dugan's just like, hey, dude, I love you. Go away. Dugan, what about you, man? Was there anything that was daunting for you, for your segment? The hardest part for my segment was just the last, the last scene, basically, of, of everything. The, basically, the climax of Wilson Bethel, the, the cop, showing up and just kind of how the blocking of that scene worked and making sure the logic worked for everything. And we we're also, the time, we, we, we ran out of light pretty quickly. <laughs> Oh yeah, I remember that. So, and then also Simon got the idea. We we also were like, you know, it was very low budget filmmaking, you know. So we were using a lot of the things that we, you know, would find. And one of the ideas is like a satellite falling, which you, you can see, which we did do. And Simon had the idea of getting this water heater and using that as a prop. And so we had to. Next thing you know, we were gathering this huge water heater on the back of a. <laughs> Uh, like a you know like a four-wheeler and or someone's truck bed and yeah dropping that down while i was blocking the scene and because we were running out of light very quickly so that was that was tough for all those reasons but i think yeah i'm happy with how it how it turned out a geeky question and i don't know it's probably maybe it's a stupid question but i was just curious how where all those shots came of like the deserted freeways and empty cities and everything like that was any of that shot during pandemic was it stock footage how does that how do you get that stuff um, both um, my buddy Pete Modric, who's in Australia, you know, because they were like really strict with lockdown. Um, he got some incredible stuff of just like empty everything. And then, you know, we just had locations that they don't have, you know, like snow and shit like that, that we went in stock footage, some Europe, some of it, we sh- 
we have that just, we got lucky where it was shot at like dawn and there's a couple of people and we just painted them out. But, um, but like, yeah, surprisingly, a lot of that stuff was shot by Pete and it was disturbing actually to see how empty things were because it was, it was like kind of like sterile looking too, which was really weird, you know, rather than, cause that's kind of what we wanted. We just didn't mm-hmm. feel like we wanted like this end of the world burning trucks and stuff. Like we kind of always wanted it to just be like, people are going crazy and they're probably just staying inside. And I was inspired by the Tokyo. I don't know if you guys ever watched the Tokyo shorts, but Bong Joon-ho's segment at the end, he's at the third is an anthology does a third one and it's just everybody's like like uh, agoraphobic and just like nobody comes out and until there's an earthquake but it's just everything's clean still it's just like classic japan still but like every, no one's outside it's like an empty apocalypse and i was like this is cool that's what we got to do yeah, sounds people. familiar right wow we'll end it with uh, leo dude you got one more to wrap it up yeah do you guys have an idea a script or treatment for a sequel and where the story can go the cool thing with it is that, you know, Saman and I, we were talking about possible series with it because there's millions of these doors all over the world. I mean, the stories can keep going and going and going. The way that we've ended it, I think, leaves it open. It's pretty ambiguous of what really happens. But, you know, pretty much a lot of humanity is being cosmically absorbed and evolving into something else. And what that is, you know, we'll wait and see. But um you know, there there isn't anything for a feature as per se, but, you know, possible series, that'd be great. You know, definitely. And we have something sort of worked out that we've been working on. So, well, you know, it just really comes down to how this does. And hopefully people really, you know, dig it and say, hey, this is something different. And that was the whole thing is to try to make something unique and different that, you know, you know, there's so much. We got the big superhero movies, which are awesome, and all these other type of horror films that are awesome. But this was something that's different. And, you know, it's I, I think it's well, we'll see. You know, it all comes down to the bottom line of how well it does and, you know, the money that it makes. And and just um, will, will it catch on? I, I, I hope so. I, I would hope so. And if that does, then, yeah, hopefully there'll be something else. I also love that one thing this does, too, and maintains its cerebralness and that whole mindfuck element. But it doesn't turn the viewer off. You know, it doesn't go too far to bewilder the viewer. You know, it takes us along on the path and we kind of are with the characters. Was that an important part of what you guys were constructing with this? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. That yeah. was the, and, and someone you could jump in and, and guys, you, you guys could, um, Jeff and Dugan jump in too. But yeah, that, that was pretty much it to bring a, a you know, a real human, approach about how this would happen where it's accessible you know you don't want to go too far i mean you could you could go really far off without question you know and really go there but you know at least for this one you know it's like getting your toes wet this is kind of where you know this is what it is and you can see the potential of where it can go but we wanted to keep it somewhat psychologically cerebral cerebral i guess um grounded right in, in a way that is still, it's like there's an entry point because that's really important to make sure that the viewer doesn't get too lost. Like, where is this? What the heck is really going on? Um, and that was really important, I think. Yeah. I think also, too, like something that that resonated with me with Jeff and Dugan's work, and they're, they're both really, they're both great friends. But I think like when I was coming, when I was like thinking about them for segments, both of them like really care about their characters and they really care about like, like just not only just like motivations and stuff, but they just like care. They just care. Like we didn't want to make something that was just like mean or mean spirited. We wanted something that felt like there was still something beautiful about it, even if the darkest shit was happening. And I think that like tonally 
I think all three of us just, you know, we just knew we weren't going to ever make those turns. And I think that that probably helps with the tonal consistency of it um, as well. Um, and then keeps it grounded because you keep it, we keep it from a, a human perspective, even if like the, the recurring character is this totally like what multidimensional being. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There is that. Definitely. There's an element of hope in each of the segments, as you're saying. Yeah. From the yeah. beginning when she's like, oh, we go we could go in here and it goes somewhere. Probably goes somewhere. Right. Everybody's on the other side. Let's go check it out. Or, right. you know, the last one he's trying to communicate. And then what I loved about yours, Simon, is that you had that voice during while they're inside this surreal world reminding you, hey, two minutes left. You got to get out of this door that, that they're just inside this experience. And th- those are all elements I thought that kept us with what was going on. I uh, just applaud you guys for it. Cause it was a really cool balancing act that you guys uh, pulled off. One more comment. I got to say, it would be awesome to experience the world of doors in an, like an Oculus Rift situation, oh, like yeah. a VR yeah. thing to yeah. walk through yeah. the doors. Cool. We, we were talking about that. I think, you know, that was one of the things that we were talking about, especially being a big fan of VR and, and just that immersion and, you know, have have it where you can actually go into the door in that world and really experience it. Who knows? You know, that takes a lot of money. <laughs> we, we didn't have that type of budget to really pull that off on, on this one. But, yeah, I, I, I do agree that 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 would be uh, amazing. That, that would be utterly amazing. Very cool, guys. Well, we won't take up any more of your time. We really appreciate it. We love the film. And uh, yes. congrats on it, man. Right. Thank you so much. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 210. Special thanks to our guests, Chris White, Simon Cash, Dugan O'Neill, and Jeff Desim. Check out Doors at time of release in select theaters now and on demand. Available on DVD and Blu-ray April 6th. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Chen, chopped and sliced by Trevor Chen. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, or disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.